It's a testament to the Tesla engineering team uh, to be able to uh, have made a car that has still not been exceeded in range. Human spaceflight was, was always the goal, the, the, the fundamental goal of SpaceX. We're confident that long-term we can design and, and manufacture a compelling $25,000 electric vehicle. I think we should really do our very best to become a multi-planet species and to extend consciousness beyond Earth, and we should do it now. Welcome everyone to the Model X launch. Welcome to the Tesla semi-truck event. People have asked us for a long time, when are you gonna make a new Roadster? We are making it now. So I present to you the Cybertruck. Well, I think it looks so ridiculous and impossible. You can tell it's real because it looks so fake, honestly. <laughs> SpaceX and Tesla. The two companies have wildly different goals. SpaceX is focused on colonizing Mars and in the process is giving new life to NASA. Tesla is busy building electric cars and batteries. But the companies do share something important. Elon Musk. He is the CEO of both. Musk has been described as brilliant, as belligerent, as a meticulous founder and brash user of social media. He's also the latest CEO to be named Fortune's Business Person of the Year. We'll dig into why today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Avram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. Elon Musk seems to be the CEO people love to hate. But love him or hate him, it's hard to argue with his success. And that's why he was the clear choice as Fortune's business person of the year. We look at a range of factors in making that pick. Who accomplished truly remarkable things? And Musk certainly passed that test, but the numbers are incredibly compelling as well. Tesla's stock is up more than 500% over the past 12 months. The company has averaged more than 50% in sales growth over the past three years. It just had its fifth straight quarterly profit. And last quarter, it produced 145,000 vehicles, a new record for the company. Also, did I mention that the stock is up more than 500%? Yes, it actually has just been skyrocketing on a weekly basis. But, you know, it's not only Tesla. There's also, speaking of rockets, SpaceX. And SpaceX has hit some significant milestones as well um, just this year. You know, they recently actually took people to the space station after years and years of being actually like ridiculed. Uh, and, and definitely a lot of skeptics didn't believe that Musk could do what he set out to do with SpaceX. So I think in general, just taking a step back, um, this is probably pretty obvious, but there's a reason why we're talking about Elon Musk on our tech podcast here. These two companies, Tesla and SpaceX, are household names at this point. I think sometimes we forget how revolutionary the technology behind them really is. You know, Tesla with electric vehicles, uh, with the battery innovations, manufacturing innovations, you know, arguably lit the fire under the world's electric vehicle market. And SpaceX, again, I mean, the design conceit here is that you can actually reuse the rockets that launch spaceships into space. In the past, these were just ejected into the ocean or wherever they may have landed. So these are really, really huge innovations over just the last couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what makes it so compelling, not just that Elon Musk boldly went into these industries and he's leading some of the biggest companies in the world, you know, the Toyotas and Volkswagens and GMs into the electric car business, 
but he's doing it with real innovation. And the space industry was kind of in retreat, you know, after glorious decades and especially the U.S. space program. And now he's doing it not only by just saying we're going to make this work, but we're going to bring innovation to it. We're going to bring our rockets back down to, to the ground. I do want to get back to Elon Musk, the person, for a minute, because you and our colleague Andrew Nuska wrote the latest Fortune cover story all about Musk. And you, Brian, edited that story. Well, it was an easy job working with you and Andrew. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it was fun to talk to you and Andrew about this story because I got to turn the tables on you a little bit. You stopped being Michal, the podcast host, as great as you are at that role, and became Michal, the podcast guest. And after we talked a bit about why uh, Musk had been named Business Person of the Year, I asked Andrew how long Musk could keep up the level of innovation and drive that has made him stand out as a business leader. When will Musk burn out, if ever? Well, Brian, I think he's burnt out many, many, many times already. I mean, look no further than that headline about him sleeping on the factory floor at Tesla. <laughs> I mean, that would be one of the many knocks against this entrepreneurial approach to things, you know, is that he's still running it like it's a 15-person operation and that he's riding roughshod over worker rights and, I mean, you know, keeping his factory open in defiance of California protocols during COVID. I mean, just doing things that that normal workers would find unacceptable. I, I think it all stems from this, this notion of, of using sheer willpower, <laughs> as we put it in the story, to just kind of hero through everything. I don't think he burns out. I mean, I just don't see that as a scenario. I think the bigger issue and the bigger risk is that the people around him keep burning out. I mean, this is going back to how many departures there have been, especially at Tesla. This is part of the reason is because those around him do experience and suffer from burnout and they end up leaving. And then that creates you know, a bigger challenge for him to keep surrounding himself with A-listers, right, which he needs for these, like, amazing endeavors. So I think that that's the bigger issue. I mean, Elon Musk may be fine with sleeping on the factory floor whenever there's a, a deadline looming, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the rest of his executive team and everybody else at Tesla is okay with that as well or, or that that's sustainable for them. And you can't sustain a company financially, let alone culturally, by just lurching from one thing to the next because you're so busy running around with all of your amazing projects. That's the that's the issue. I mean, you know, he he has admitted publicly that Tesla was near bankruptcy for a few years. I am sure there are lots of great business professionals that could have helped secure funding and <laughs> not left it to the last minute. But, uh, you know, that's just not how Elon rolls. I think also, Andrew, that brings up another really good point that, you know, he, the fact that he he has said before that Tesla was near a bankruptcy, he has said a lot of things and he says them all very, very publicly to his 40 million plus Twitter followers and whoever else is listening. You know, I do see that as a big risk for him long term because he's already, you know, he's gotten like a slap on the wrist, basically the equivalent of that from the SEC for, you know, misleading tweets, but he really hasn't had to face like any really significant, severe repercussions from some of the stuff that he utters on social media. And I do think that 
there could be a reckoning there that at some point he puts his foot in his mouth so badly that, you know, it could cost him a CEO position at one of his companies or all of his companies, right? I mean, that does raise a really good point. He has been through all kinds of ups and downs. You know, the company has had near-death experiences, but he's always come through it. I mean, at some point, do you become so detached from, you know, reality or just so confident that you can power through anything that you do eventually stumble in a significant way? Well, Brian, I think... I, you say detached from reality. I laugh because, you know, arguably that's Elon's greatest asset <laughs> is that he's just a little bit abstracted from everybody else's, you know, relatively, you know, realistic pedestrian thinking. I think the thing that drives him is truly the mission of it all. I don't think the wealth is is that much of an achievement to him. Is that it? Is, that, is it the mission? What is driving him? What keeps him from burning out? He works the same, you know, 24-hour days that we do and and does more than anybody. But what gets him through those days, day after day? My impression, just personally, is that this is a guy who has a deep, deep conviction that what he is doing is right, is the right thing to do. I think he fundamentally believes that Earth is, we've screwed up Earth and we need a new planet to go live on and Mars is the one. And he fundamentally believes that, you know, emission spewing cars are the wrong maneuver and we need to get back to electric cars, which we had, you know, in 1900. I just think the thing that drives him the most is this kind of immovable conviction that it should be this way. To be clear, just because Elon Musk thinks he's doing the right thing doesn't mean that we think he always does the right thing. I mean, this is not a uh, a perfect leader by any stretch of the imagination. And yes, he's our business person of the year. But that does not mean that we think he's a model leader. And in fact, he's a very flawed individual on a very public scale. Uh, wouldn't you say, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. And he has a giant megaphone. He has 40 million something followers on Twitter, and he doesn't always make good choices about what he's going to communicate or set the best example. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're referencing here, just Google Elon Musk, COVID and Space Garen. Electric vehicles are still a small percentage of overall auto sales, but the category is growing and growing fast. Right. We're seeing that most of the major car companies are making big investments in EVs now. But Michal, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Tesla is still the name of the game. In your story, you show that Tesla has basically pulled the auto industry into the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Tesla has indeed you know, lit this fire and really pioneered this technology. Not that the technology was entirely new, of course, but it hadn't taken off before and definitely not in this way. We are seeing other companies, incumbent auto manufacturers, jumping into EVs. 
I uh, really wanted to speak with someone at General Motors because obviously they are a really great example of one of these companies. Between the Chevy Bolt and the Nissan Leaf, they've had more success with EVs than most other companies. And just two weeks ago, they announced a pretty significant commitment to electric cars, which is really a continuation of uh, what their CEO, Mary Barra, has been talking about for a few years now. GM really sees an all-electric future at some point. And I talked to Ken Morris, the VP of Electric and Autonomous Vehicles at GM, to find out more. The next step is that we want to convert to a totally electric vehicle company. And what we're doing right now is, from the ground up, engineering brand new vehicles that are completely optimized to be electric vehicles and we plan on introducing 30 of those by 2025. As a matter of fact, we're spending over 60% of our engineering and capital budget between now and 2025 on electric vehicles so that we are committed to um, zero emissions future and an all electric future. And so we're not dipping our toe in the water. We're making a full commitment. And so the things we're working on are making sure that we are getting the most energy density out of the cell chemistries that we use for our batteries, as well as making sure that they're affordable so that we can provide that full spectrum of vehicles for customers that they can afford, that it's not a, a big penalty over uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle. What do you still hear as any concern from consumers? What are the top concerns, I guess, on the consumer side for people who are thinking about purchasing an EV but aren't quite sure yet? Frankly, charging is something that people are concerned about because they don't really, they haven't experienced it and they don't know what, it's different than what they're used to. And, you know, our research shows us that in actuality, 92% of all charging occurs at people's homes or at their place of work. And so when you think about that, only 8% of charging is really happening in public versus today, if you think about it, 100% of your gassing vehicles up are happening in public. So the changeover from gas stations and fueling stations to charge stations, it doesn't have to be one for one for us to really make that pinch point or pain point for customers concerned about charging go away. We're working with uh, all the data that we have and uh, with companies to try to improve that infrastructure in the right spot so that people can make the longer trips. I think the scale part here is fascinating um, because we're not only talking about newer technologies, but we're talking about doing this on a GM scale and we're talking about a very global uh, footprint. And so what does it entail on the battery side, on the charging station side? How big of a hurdle are all of these areas in order to to really achieve scale? Well, that's one of the real advantages that we have as GM is we've designed these vehicles from the ground up so that we can use the exact same cells across all the vehicles. And so we're in a, a joint venture with LG Chem. So we're going to build these cells ourselves and we're going to basically be able to use them for every new vehicle that we make. And so we get tremendous scale. When you think about as we bring on more and more volume, uh, those cells go up. And when those cells go up, the prices come down. And scale is um, 
you know, we, we are a big enough company. We can make our own luck a little bit because we do make so many vehicles. Uh, we're continuing to make internal combustion engine vehicles. So the, the parts that we buy on scale for those, we're going to put those on electric vehicles. The parts that are unique to electric vehicles, like the drive units, the power electronics, the battery packs, the modules, the cells, we're making those so that they're like building blocks and we just build vehicles around that and they stay the same for all of our vehicles. So that's that's a huge advantage we've designed um, with prior thought, obviously, on how can we maximize the, the scale of General Motors. As this space has become more competitive and crowded, I would imagine that there are new skill sets that are in need, uh, you know, on the battery side, obviously, which I know you've had for a long time. And on other fronts, do you see, a, you know, a shortage in talent? Is it very competitive to get the right talent on board um, for this kind of a future to be able to take place? For sure. We're... We are hiring 3,000 people that, you know, the majority of those people are going to be in our engineering area, uh, but it also goes across design as well as um, IT. But we are transforming the company into a different technology company in terms of the kind of software that we need to use and what we do as we're developing vehicles virtually a lot more than physically than we have in the past, which is making us go faster. And so we're hiring 3,000 people, not only for that technical switch, you know, in terms of what I just said, but also just the capacity of work we have because we are taking on flipping our portfolio to electric vehicles. And that requires, um, you know, a lot of uh, capacity of those type of jobs. Michal, what stood out to you most about your conversation with Ken? I think just the the sheer scale. I mean, even though EVs are still a fraction of overall car sales, you know, GM is committed to this future as are other automakers. And, you know, that's really what it's going to take to create this future. And yes, Tesla plays a big role here, but certainly the other auto manufacturers, they play a huge role too. And what did Ken say about Musk and about Tesla? Nothing. <laughs> uh, he did not comment specifically about Tesla, uh, but you know he did say that again for this to become a reality that all car makers need to be committed. So he did say that. Well, it's kind of hard for Ken or anybody else at the legacy automakers to ignore Tesla because Tesla's stock value now is many, many times that of GM or. Ford. And by the way, did I mention that Tesla's stock is up more than 500% over the past year? Could you tell me again, Brian? Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> kind of hard to make a podcast about Elon Musk and Tesla and not talk about the stock price because that is what people are obsessed with. It also, by the way, is hard working on a story about Elon Musk and Tesla when the stock price keeps going up because we kept having to update all our numbers like every day. So that was fun too. It's really been an astounding run. This summer, Tesla became the most valuable auto company in the world. And in the past 12 months, Tesla stock has gained about 760%. Why a lot of investors don't think the price action is crazy. In fact, they think it's set to keep running higher. And so what we're gonna see now is that the stock is gonna become part of the S&P 500. 
it is the leading edge when it comes to electrification and decarbonization. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to Tesla, the doubters were wrong and the believers were right. Our next guest is not quite as enthusiastic about Tesla's stock as some of those voices you just heard. Alyssa Altman is the transportation lead at Publicis Sapient and a consultant to automakers and car component manufacturers. So Alyssa, over the past year, we've seen Tesla's stock go on this incredible run, just shooting up. The market value has increased by hundreds of billions of dollars, literally. So my question to you is, is that legit? Does that make sense? Do you think that's sustainable? It's not sustainable and it is not legit. So I do think that they're going to see uh, you know, a lot of downward spiral. Now, is that going to happen in the next month with them being part of the S&P? Probably not. But I do feel over time in the next six months, there definitely will be a bottoming out of not only their stock, but some of the other overvalued EV stocks that are out there. Has it been surprising to you just how unbelievable, you know, Tesla's rise has been in recent months? Yes, I think it really is just a testament to how people see them. They don't see them as a car company, but they see them more as a technology company. And at the end of the day, they're really a car company. And so I think the market's going to find that out soon. So, you know, early on with Tesla, they were kind of like the cool kid at the party in the automotive world. You know, we had this this brainiac Silicon Valley guy who said, I'm going to build a better car. I'm going to build a, you know, the general motors of electric cars. And I think the tendency was from the auto world to say, what do you know about building a car company, much less like a big car company? A lot of people have tried this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to deny him now. So, I mean, have you seen in your experience that transformation from, you know, the traditional automakers who are struggling a little bit to master the electric car world. Did they write him off a little bit at the beginning and have they changed their tune? Yes, they've completely changed their tune. I think they see him as what they ultimately want to be, but what they know they can be is probably something much bigger because they have the ability to scale faster and they have, you know, a, a global footprint that that he doesn't have. He'd have to build it from the ground up. So, they have an advantage on him now that they've seen what he's done. So he's really leading the market and moving us into electric vehicles. I do not think he will be the number one electric vehicle company over time. So just to go back to to Tesla and its market value for a moment, it's worth well over $500 billion. It's worth multiples of Ford and GM combined Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And you said people are valuing it like a a tech company, an all-powerful tech company. But why do you feel like it's so overvalued? Why is the market ascribing that value to it? There's an excitement about the way that they're attacking the market. So they're coming in, they're making change, they're fearless about making mistakes. And so I think the excitement about seeing a different kind of leader is is what is propelling him in the market right now. So... Even if Tesla's stock price does come back down to earth, I just don't think that's going to slow Elon Musk down. And, you know, we haven't even talked about any of his other companies. Our goal is to solve important spine and brain problems with a seamlessly seamlessly implanted device. It's more complicated than this, but it's in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires. 
That was Musk talking about Neuralink, which is a company that he co-founded to implant brain-computer interfaces and might help patients with conditions like Alzheimer's and dementia. But do you trust Elon with your brain? So th this system is designed to do uh, over 150 miles an hour uh, through the tunnel. And um, I mean, it would have been incredible if you could travel around LA, New York, DC, Chicago, Paris, London, anywhere at, at 150 miles an hour. That'd be ph phenomenal. Um, I mean, traffic is soul destroying. It's like acid on the soul. It's horrible. Those are some strong words, acid on the soul. That, of course, was the boring company, which is anything but boring. They're basically digging tunnels for transportation to to improve transportation and alleviate some of the issues there. I think it sounds like a place my two-year-old would want to go work so he could just dig holes. And then, of course, Musk is pretty consistently releasing all sorts of other ideas as one-off products that sell out instantly. Yeah, he just kind of tosses off these things and they become like a huge success. Like it would be anybody else's incredible startup idea. Like the most recent was Tesla Tequila, which Musk announced as an April Fool's joke in 2018. And then voila, last month, it actually went on sale for $250 a bottle and sold out. Yeah, he also sold red satin short shorts, which was an aim at poking fun at his many, Tesla's many short sellers. I don't know if you got a pair, Brian. Well, you know, the holidays are coming up and I was uh, <laughs> going to make a list for you. Secret if you want to get me something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brian, I know you love a good quiz. So can you identify this product that was actually sold by the boring company? Here's the sound that it makes. Ow, it's hot. I actually know this one. What is it? That is the flamethrower, or actually the not a flamethrower. That's right. This is another area where I'm not sure that like the average CEO would say, you know, it'd be a great idea is to sell random people a bunch of flamethrowers, but somehow Elon Musk is making it work. I don't think liability is like in his vocabulary, you know? And again, this is also a great product for my two-year-old. I really think he should, you know, go work for Elon Musk because he makes that sound effect pretty much like all the time, every day. So, all right. Well, there you have it. That's it for today. Thank you all for listening. And we will be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is written by Megan Arnold and edited by Wyatt Orm and Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Psst. 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 Psst.